Well, I am so stoked to be out here, Redemption Tucson, with the Tucson fam. What's up, y'all? How y'all doing this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tucson in the house. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm amped up. Um, Dave, is, he's cool. He's crazy funny, too. You know, we, hanging out with him, he always, like, makes fun of my socks and stuff, you know. So, anyhow, um, I'm one of the elders at Redemption Alhambra. I'm one of all the classes and stuff that we do over there for the people and lead pastor there Aaron Daly and enough of the pleasantries I just want to dig into the word so let's do that so um okay this Dave doing this this series restored people and diving into restored people in the city this that's a extremely timely subject right extremely it's, it's, it's timely and at the same time it's timeless ever since the fall you know like we look on on television we see things that's going on in cities all across the United States in different ways and you see how it's timely it fits in to what's going on but I don't want us to just look at it as something that's just unique to right now I want us to to, to look at it in the scope of ever since the fall, this has been a need. This has been something that's needed to be continuously talked about, the restoration of people in the city. Because our, our relationship with God is the primary relationship, it's the, the thriving relationship that affects every single other relationship that we have on this planet. Whether it's with people, whether it's animals, whether it's with the planet itself, the relationship with God is the primary deal. And when the relationship with God is severed and broken, all other relationships suffer drastically. Every single one of them. And you turn around and you see broken relationship with God equals broken relationship with people. And there was never a time since the fall that this wasn't a needed subject. Cain was, was worrying about being killed by people from the city because of what he did to Abel, right? So everywhere from then, you look in, in Genesis and you see people that were coming together to, in, in, in their own pride to build a city and a tower going straight up because they wanted to put a name for themselves on the map. You see the the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or you see the systemic oppression of an entire group of people, the Hebrews. And even though they outnumbered the Egyptians, they were oppressed by the Egyptians. And then they later became known as the Jews. And they was now the, the minorities, but yet still they was oppressed and marginalized by the Roman Empire. You read the Bible, and all the way through the Bible, it's going to be really hard for you to miss broken cities all the way through. Issues stemming from a side effect of the fall continuously. So that has to be the backdrop as we dive inside of this, this, this deal here that the things that we go through and we see today aren't unique to just today, right? So as we know, we're dealing with Luke. 19 verses 41 through 44 and I'm going to 
reread it like two or three times as we just unpack that and how I think that this is diving into to us today. So, again from 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and, and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. All right, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into this. Father, we thank you so much for, for who you are, how intentional you are, how perfect, holy, and righteous you are, Lord. And I that you will turn our hearts towards you. It can keep turning it every time we turn away from you, that you will turn our hearts back to you. Give us a passion for you like no other, Lord. A desire for you like no other, Lord. A hunger for you like no other, Lord. That we would be your people. And we will reflect that in the cities that we live in, Lord. Have your way to stay, even with me as I speak your word, Lord. Let me stay submitted to you, Lord. In the midst of all this, and I pray that you will water your word, Lord, and you will bring growth and bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a lot of scholars look at that particular verse and they equate it to Jesus talking about or speaking in advance about what's going to happen in 70 AD where the Roman Empire would then invade Jerusalem and literally tear Jerusalem down to the ground, right? And that's what happened is, is, is he's talking about this and he's, he's saying how your enemies will be around you and they will hem you in and, and literally that exactly what happened later on when Rome invaded. But this was happened 70 years later. What I'm going to look at is not so much that but the root of it though why Jesus is saying this, why this was happening, and how those roots stretch far out to even today when we look in our city, when we look in our lives today. So we're looking at the roots because those things are still the same. The reasons why he was saying these things are valid today, this morning, because of the root of why he was saying it. So we're going to pick this apart bit by bit and dive into it. So verse 41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. I love that verse. I love, I love right there, just looking at his heart, his mindset, as he's walking. And if you understand what's happening here, you read the passages before and the passages behind, Jesus has been like incognito for a while because people was out to get him. So he, he was laying low and then he got up with his boys and it was a big group of people and he's heading to Jerusalem. And it's him, even Lazarus, the one that was dead that they brought back, that he brought back alive, is with them. His disciples are with them. Other people along the way have gathered together with them and they're heading and they're going to Jerusalem. And this 
big crowd of people are with them. There's bickering going back and forth, some issues happening with some of the Pharisees and stuff. And as he's approaching Jerusalem, he stops and he looks at Jerusalem and he starts to contemplate the brokenness of Jerusalem. And it hits him so hard that he stops and he starts to weep. Looking at the brokenness of that city and knowing how where the brokenness of that city would lead them breaks his heart. He was broken over the brokenness of the city. And I read that and I feel conviction because here's the reality of it. A lot of us look at the brokenness of our cities and become numb to it. We see it so much. It's on the TV. It's on the news. And we can become extremely numb to how serious the situation actually is. It's like when I first moved out to Tolleson a long time ago, Tolleson, Arizona, and they had a lot of like cow farms around there. And the realtor, she lied to me. She said, well, you know what? All these cow farms are about to leave. So the smell is going to be gone soon. Because there was this crazy smell. So I'm like, all right, they're going to be gone so cool. And we moved in. They never left, though. <laughs> But after a while, I stopped even realizing the smell. I got so used to it until family came in from New York. I'm from New York. So when family came in from New York, family like, yo, dude. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, there's a cow farm over there. That realtor. You know, but I had become numb to it. It wasn't standing out to me as normal. And we live in a society where we are drenched with brokenness to the point that brokenness has even become like cool. You know, like they, people are, are, are happy about their brokenness. I was listening to a rapper rap a long time ago um, by the name of Fanatic. And he, he was talking about some rappers. Says, These are grown men on the microphone that like to condone their own sin. Right? And it's like, wow, that hit, that's the reality of it. But it's like, man, am I broken for my city the way he was? Do, do I stop in my track thinking about the weight of this thing? A lot of us remain disconnected, though. It's easy to just turn off the news after you get tired of hearing and seeing the same thing over and over again. It's easy to just disconnect because sometimes we're not personally affected. Probably it wasn't my brother. Probably it wasn't my husband. Probably it wasn't my son. Probably it wasn't my dad. Probably it wasn't my wife. Probably it wasn't my sister. I'm not personally connected all the time. So sometimes it becomes more easily to disconnect from it. Or probably it's not in my city. It's not right outside of my front door. Or probably there's some other issues that may be going on. Probably there's some issues in my marriage. Probably there's some issues with my children, with my finances. Probably there's just other issues that I have more things for me to be focused on right here, right now, than what's going on in the city. And I could think about that and I'm like, Jesus didn't disconnect even though he, he had his own issues to deal with. You see, him heading into Jerusalem that day, he's heading into Jerusalem with the knowledge that 
This trip into Jerusalem leads to his death. Eventually, the same people that he's broken over, the same people that he's crying and weeping for, or the same one that will push him up to Pilate to be killed. And he knows this, but he's broken for them. It's like this. As people with the spirit of Jesus living inside of us, we no longer have the liberty to just disconnect. The same spirit that's living inside of Jesus is living inside of us currently. We no longer have that liberty to just disconnect. This means something to us. Our heart should be broken by what breaks his heart. We should be moved by the thing that moved him. We should be concerned about the things that concern him. And if we are not, we should seriously ask the question, why? Because that means that somewhere along the line, that is the evidence that there is an idol somewhere along the line. There is a disconnect between you and the Spirit of God somewhere along the line between me and the Spirit of God somewhere along the line where my heart doesn't break for the things that break his heart. Somewhere along the line there's a disconnect. Verse 42, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And you look up the word peace, and I, I was pleased with the definition I was finding in the dictionary. It said the absence of war on one end then also said a state of mutual harmony between people or groups of people, especially in personal relations. And I thought, well, that's extremely applicable. The absence of peace concerning the relationships with people and groups of people. At Alhambra, we have this group called, we, we just, we gave it a name, we just called it Tapestry, but we look at the demographic of, of the area that we live in, and we know that <clears throat> our church reflects that, that area, and there's like four sections that we sort of try to really zoom in on to be extremely intentional on when we think about groups of people and, and the tension that lies in between different kinds of groups of people and stuff. And we don't want to just glaze over. We want to look at it and be extremely intentional of intentional on it. Like, you think about, like, one group of people, male and female. There's a lot of this, this, there is brokenness in that relationship. And the side effect of the brokenness inside that relationship leads to gender confusion and, and gender um, struggle with gender identity. Those are some of the side effects of the brokenness between the relationship with male and female. Those two groups of people right there. So we don't ignore that. We'd be very intentional over there. 
And then you look at, like, we call it classism. I don't think that's a real word, but... <laughs> but socioeconomical differences, where you have differences between people that make different group, groups of money along. A lot of times... It's like this. People tend to want to hang around people that are like them. That's the reason why a lot of people go to church. A lot of times when people go to church, what they look for is what's like me. A lot of times. I've seen a lot of people that wouldn't go to a church because they didn't see enough of what's like me. But then even, like I used to go to a church where it was like 99% black, right? There was just one white guy. Me and was real cool, but it was, it was just one, right? And... Everybody else was black. But at the same time, everyone was separated, though. And when they were separated based off of their financial standings, though. Like, ones that made more money hung out with the ones that made more money. And ones that made less money hung out with the ones that made less money. I'm talking about outside of church. Everyone comes together during church time. But in personal lives, in personal lives, there was this difference. And... A lot of times people have this, even when you look at like, like say like we go through the two opposite ends, like poor and rich or poor and more financially well off. Because even when you look at rich, not even many people really fit inside that bracket. But then if you stand from a, a broader sense, most people fit inside that bracket. You know, if you look from like most people from other countries would turn around and say, man, you're rich over here. And the ones that feel that they aren't rich, right? But you look at, a, like, say a poor person, and because of his financial status, he feels separated from the rest of the world. Like, I have nothing to offer to you. The only deal that we can have in our relationship is what can you offer to me? And then vice versa, where there's another person that may look at that same person and think, like, the only thing that we can benefit in a relationship is what I may be able to give to you, and that's it. But not, man... There are much more that you can offer to me and much more that I can give to you than just finances, right? But we can build deep relationships with one another. This is part, I believe it's in Corinthians or Colossians, where it, it was talking about the body of the church and it was talking about different members of the body and how some members of the body, they can't turn around and say that, I am not needed. So they sort of stand far off. And then the other members of the body can't turn around and say, I do not need you. So they stand far off. But how the whole entire body operates together and what hurts one hurts the other. And what one rejoices over, the other rejoices over. And this is how God means to balance the whole deal out. And then there's this brokenness between generations of people, right? Where... You have a lot of older generation and younger generation and a gap, right? Where, like a real community, both of these generations mesh together and, and, the, and the wisdom from the older people, the younger people look up to, like, I need that. And the, and the strength of the younger people, the older people look up to. And no one looks at the other and say, you're not so much needed here. And everyone balances everybody out. Like we moved into this, this church building. We took over this building that used to be a Lutheran church. And, the, and there were like 30 members left there. And all of them was like 
70s and over, right? And, and one day we just sat down and we had a meeting like, listen, what we do not want to see is you fade into the background. You've seen more things on this earth than most of the people inside this congregation. We value your wisdom. We value your experience. And that's what we will not have is that you just sort of fade out. We need you to step in the leadership positions and lead from the experiences and wisdom that you have. We, we, we wasn't going to have that because we, we want this thing to reflect what a true community should look like. Balanced, right? And then, of course, you have race. Racial tension, racial issues that you see going on for years, this tension between, between races that it's like, like, what do you do about it, right? And I think there's a lot that we see and what we can do about it. Because our goal here isn't to tell this person you should need to be more like that person, that that person you need to be more like this person. I'm not going to tell the poor person if you want to achieve what God has you to achieve, what you need to do is do your best to be like that person. Or tell the, the, the rich person what you need to do is give up all your stuff and sell your stuff and try to be more like that person because that's not what God even is looking for. People are finding their identity and everything else other than God. What God is looking for you to in the position that you have in, in, in the place that God has put you in to reflect his glory like none other. And how does that look being balanced out among groups of people? These are issues of brokenness that have plagued our cities and communities for as long as we can remember. And the thing is, when you look at, the, at our cities, what you see is, you see the collective expression of the brokenness of the people in the city. That's where you see all, because all the other brokenness you see like behind closed doors. But in the city, you see the collective expression of everybody's brokenness. That's why everything stands out more. That's why the news it's like you can't stop seeing crazy, crazy, crazy stuff happening all the time, reflecting the brokenness of all these people all collected together. That's what you see inside the city. Verses 43 and a little bit of 44. He says... For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. Here, here he's talking about how the brokenness is bringing about this absence of peace, this war that would affect not only them, but generations to come. When he says, then the children within you, he's talking to them as a city, right? And he says the children within you, he's talking about generations to come are going to be affected by this brokenness. That's what he's getting at here, how 
and we can look at that and we say, and we, and we look at our cities and we see our cities are the side effect of generations of brokenness. Generation after generation after generation of brokenness is what you see here in our cities and stuff. And that's what he's talking about there when he says, and your children within you. He's not talking about a specific pregnant lady. He's talking about the next generation is going to be affected by that brokenness. And generations to come after that one will still be affected by that brokenness. This is the reason we see our cities the way that they are today. So he's saying, I would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And everybody strive for peace. Everybody see the chaos and everybody's looking for something to do about the chaos. Some people, some people march, some people pick it, some people do this, some people do that. Everybody is looking for something to do about the situations that they see. Everyone strives for peace. Everyone is searching for the answer. And I think here Jesus points out the problem and simultaneously points out the answer. He says in 44, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, they did not know that he was God. They didn't see him as God as he was walking through. They didn't see him as literally the answer to the situation. Literally, they were missing the fact that this is God. In the definition of peace, it talked about groups of people living in harmony with one another. Now, to be in harmony with something other than yourself, you have to be in sync or in step with something that's other than yourself. In Galatians 2, Paul confronts Peter on this issue. The church was getting together, they were eating, they was breaking food, and and eating together at the table, this is this really big deal. It means something. It means a lot. It means it was, it's an intimate deal when you're invited to the table and eat with somebody. But what was common at that time is that Jews and Gentiles didn't eat together. Why? Because Jews, for all they can remember their whole life, there was not a Jew alive that remembered a time where they did not eat the strict dietary law. There wasn't one alive that didn't remember a time when they didn't do that. As a matter of fact, what they ate and what they did not ate, they equated to your relationship with God. But the Gentiles, on the other hand, ate everything that they couldn't eat. They were like, yo, man, they cooking bacon over there, <laughs> pork chops, you know. And, 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 and I can see that because I, I relate to that because I used to be a Muslim. And so there was like all these dietary laws. And then when and there's still certain things that I like, I won't eat pork chops, but I will eat pepperoni pizza. <laughs> you know, hook it up. You know, but um, but there was so they would never sit together. But but the gospel comes and the gospel tear down this wall of division. And here they are, where they're, they're getting together to eat, and 
The Gentiles are there. They already started cooking. They, they had the grill fired up already, and, they, and they're breaking bread. They're eating. And Peter, who's a Jew, he's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating all the things that the Gentiles were eating. Like, yo, hook it up. You know, give me another plate. You know, and then the Jews came. And when the Jews came, then Peter's like, I can't let them see me. And he starts moonwalking, you know, and he starts hanging out with the Jews instead. And Paul sees this, and Paul is livid. Paul is like, seriously? You are serious right now. He sees that, he like, this is this racial issue that's going on right here. Like, why are you tripping, Peter? You know what's good. And then the Bible shows how, how upset Peter was about this. It says that Peter, that, that Paul was, Paul addresses Peter to his face. But not only does he address Peter about it to his face, he does it in front of everybody. And then has the nerve to write about it later on so everybody else knows. Yo, I, I told him to his face. I mean, so, so obviously this ticked Paul off. He, he, he accused Peter of not living in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what it says inside the scriptures. He says, he, that he, he said, for you are not living in step with the truth of the gospel. You are not living in sync with the, the gospel. You're not living in harmony with the gospel. Peace. Living in step with something or in sync with something other than yourself. See, here's the deal. Whenever the thing that a group of people is in step with or in sync with is not the gospel, it produces pride. So this is why this living in sync or in step with something other than yourself, but that thing has to be the gospel. That's the thing that centers every single thing in. When the gospel is not the deal that you're living in sync with, it produces this huge pride. Like the people with the Tower of Babel, they all could speak the same language. They was all in sync with each other, but not with God. And that was the beef with God. Since they was not in sync with him, it was producing this crazy pride. We're going to build this tower. We're going to tower. We're going to build a name for ourselves. And God was like, y'all tripping. And he confuses all their languages and stuff like that. Because what they was in sync with was not him. They was in sync with everything else outside of him. And you see that still today. When people click up together, group together, and get in sync with anything outside of the gospel, it's pride. That's how you get racial pride. That's how you get pride about your finances. That's how you get pride about whatever that deal is. If the thing that bonds you together is not the gospel, then it's broken. So the answer for the city in Jerusalem with the same answer for that community of people in Galatia, and it's the same answer for our cities today. Being in sync with the gospel, being in sync with the truth of the gospel. Then everything that we do, every single thing that we, we do has to be something that is reflecting the glory of our God, whatever, I mean, whether it's, whether it's marching, whether, whether it's, I mean, people have been doing things for years. 
But whatever that thing is that you're doing, if it's not flowing from an aspect that's from the lenses of the gospel, you will miss the real deal of peace. You can even settle for an illusion of something else and miss the truth of the gospel, miss being in sync with the gospel. Let's get to the application here. Restore people in the city. And when we look at the application what we, and thinking about things that we're saying today, here's, here's, there's, there's three points I want you to, to pray about to allow God to really work inside your heart concerning um, concerning our role as the people of God in the city. Application point number one. Don't disconnect. Don't just disconnect what's from what's happening outside and around you. Pray that God will give you a passion for the things that he is passionate about and that, that he will break. I mean, literally pray, Lord, break my heart for what break yours. Give me a passion for the things that you have a a passion for, literally, Lord, turn my heart towards you, because otherwise from that, I will disconnect. We all need this. A constant turning of our hearts back to him, a constant, Lord, let my heart live where your heart is. Application point number two. Consider the next generation. I like the fact that when Jesus was thinking about it and he was weeping on it, his weeping and his concern went past just the people he was looking at right there. He even took the time to mention, and your children within you. He took the time to mention the next generation being affected by it. Most of us live in a world where things that are normal to us now were not norms of the society of the generations that came before us. And likewise, our children will grow up in a world where things that are side effects of initiatives that are pushed now will seem like they was always so when they get, when they get older. So we have to be very intentional in how we express the gospel to the next generation with the understanding of its implication and effects on the norms of life in their generation. Intentional about affecting the culture of tomorrow. It's like, I heard a person was mentioning to me once on, in talking about these type of deals, like being willing to fight for something that you may not see the results of today, right? You know, and, 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 and knowing that just, but knowing that you played your role, you did your part, the part that God has called you for. Application point number three. As we pray about how to take an active role in the restoration of our city, always remember what we are fighting for and what we are fighting against. This is very important. 
to be clear with our understanding of what exactly are we fighting for, what are we fighting against. We're not fighting for power. We're not fighting for position. We're not even fighting for equality among genders, generations, people of different socioeconomic standings, or even race. We're submitting to the power and authority of God and walking in the position that he has placed each of us in and using that and using that, that power and that position intentionally. We're not fighting for equality because every standard of equality falls short of the plan of God. Whatever that thing is that we, that we want to be equal to, in and of itself, is not living in the fullness of what God has created it to. So when that becomes the thing that we're fighting for, it'll fall short of, of the vision of God. Because everything is falling short. So if, if my deal is to be equal with this person right here, but this person right here is not in the place where God is called, then I'm, I'm, I'm missing it still. My desire is to reflect the kingdom of God. Our fight is, is, is a clear, we're fighting for a clear and accurate reflection of the kingdom of God now. From a position of residence of the kingdom of God now. So what we fight against is everything that wars against a true reflection of the kingdom of God. And that fight in and of itself is a part of what God uses in his restoration of the city that he completes and finishes on his return. So we take up this active role fighting against anything that does not reflect the kingdom of God. Whatever that looks like, in whatever sense that is, that becomes my issue. That's not how it is in the kingdom of God. We are residents of the kingdom of God right here, right now. We're not waiting to become residents of the kingdom of God. Upon salvation, we became residents, and we are living under the kingship of a king. And that one day, that whole, the whole earth will be under that kingship. So thus, we continue to fight against anything that wars against what he is doing, what reflects him. Those things become issues to us. And those things that we fight against. Um, let's pray. Father, you're great. Perfect and holy, Lord. And there is none like you in all of existence. There is none like you. And it is our desire that you will be reflected throughout this earth and your love will echo throughout eternity, Lord. And I pray that you will continue to turn our hearts to you continuously over and over and over again, Lord. Every time it turns away, Lord, that the things that, that matter to, to us are the things that matter to you, Lord. That you will be our God, Lord. And that what you see inside the, what we see inside the city, we take beef with because it doesn't reflect you. But what the city sees inside us is the restoration of a people 
So I ask that you will continue to keep us, shape us, mold us, work inside of us. Your word said that everything comes from you, through you, and goes back to you. And that is you that, that works inside of us, both to will and to do, Lord. So we surrender our hearts, we surrender our minds to you as we trust you to do the work. In Jesus' name, amen.